The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And indeed, he bears fruits and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would open this word now for us by your Holy Spirit. We believe that you inspired Matthew to record these words of Jesus, and they had power not only for Matthew's day, but they have power today if we will hear them. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, open this word, open our ears, that we may be made more like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want more fruit in my life. I want more fruit in my life. This month is the uh, celebration of 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Through this month, along with the church throughout the world, we are celebrating uh, the Reformation and what it meant that these men and women could stand up and declare in the face of a very, very broken church that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And so we celebrate, and through this month, therefore, I'm desiring to pull some stories out from the Reformation, some stories to highlight from where we've come. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer is one of our heroes of the faith. Uh, He is a complicated story, though. Uh, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer uh, led the Church of England through the English Reformation, He wrote, or at least edited, most of what is made up of the Book of Common Prayer. So most of the prayers and the liturgy we pray today come from him and his editorial hand. But when Bloody Mary, Mary I, ascended to the throne, he was imprisoned. And while in prison, he recanted privately of his Protestant views to save his skin. In order to make sure that his private recantation was made public, Mary required him to go to University Church, Oxford, and stand in the pulpit to make public his private recantation of the Protestant Reformation. How did that story work out? You'll have to wait to the end of the sermon to find out. 
Now, like I said, Cranmer is a complicated story. Uh, His fruit bearing uh, was somewhat inconsistent, you could say. Anglicans are not named after one of our historical key Reformation figures, and this is a good thing. Um, Usually, many of our Reformation brothers and sisters are named after the premier theologian within their tradition. So you've got Luther, and you get Lutherans. You've got Calvin, and you get Calvinists. It's really good that we aren't named after our premier theologian, since ours is a 16th century theologian named Richard Hooker. I like Anglican just fine. But as we look at stories like Cranmer's, and we see this complicated story of fruit bearing, I look at my own life and say, I want more fruit in my life. As we saw last week when we began looking at Matthew 13, Jesus in this parable of the sower is showing us that there are three components to bearing fruit. This idea of fruit bearing is a biblical picture. It's a common biblical metaphor for what it means to live a full life before God, to have God's own life grow up within us. We read words like Galatians chapter 5, this list of what fruit looks like. What does fruit bearing look like? The fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, when I look at that list, it reminds me of how desperate we are for fruit-bearing within a dark world. When we all see what we saw this week in this world, when we see horrific acts We desperately need a church to stand up and bear fruit. We need a church to be a living witness in the midst of this broken world. We need a church that bears fruit. This week, as uh, this Friday night, Monica and I went to see the Dallas Stars play and um, their their season opener. And it it was amazing because they were playing against the Vegas Golden Knights, a brand new hockey team from Las Vegas. And as we went to the arena, I wondered, how are they going to handle this? How are they going to handle this moment of what happened in Las Vegas this week? And it was, it was amazing, after all the introductory bits, the Dallas players, just before the anthem, broke protocol and skated and went and stood behind all of the Vegas players as an act of solidarity. As a, as a symbol that we stand together and then together right beside each other sang the national anthem. And I sat there singing this national anthem with tears in my eyes saying, we need fruit in this world. Perhaps more than ever before, we need fruit in this world. What Jesus shows us in this parable are the three components needed to bear fruit. He, Jesus tells us there's a seed, there's a sower, and there's soil. Last week we looked at the seed. The seed is the word of God. And what's incredible about the seed is the seed does all the work we saw. The seed brings the fruit. The seed literally gives the fruit. 
It's God's word living in the heart of a person that brings about the fruit. We can't make fruit happen. God's word living in us builds and grows that fruit. And we also look to the sower, the sower who is unlike any sower we've ever seen. This sower takes his seed and spreads it everywhere, even on what would seem to be bad soil. And so as we look today at the text, the question is, what is the soil's job? I mean, if all the heavy lifting is done by the seed, the Word of God, and the sower is the one that gets it scattered, what is the soil's job? Well, the soil's job is to make room for the seed. The soil's job is to make room for the Word of God. Our job is not passive. God does all the heavy lifting, but ours is not passive. Ours is a job of tending to our soil. Is there room in our soil for the seed to implant? Is there room in our lives for the Word of God to move in and grow? How's your soil? As we look at the different soil types today, I'll tell you right up front, I have been every one of these soil types and sometimes all in the same afternoon. (laughs) Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Soil types. The first type of soil we find is hard soil. Is your soil hard? Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The path is soil that has been trampled down and beaten to the point of being so hard that it cannot receive seeds. Is your soil hard? Is there room for the seed to penetrate your life? Some of us get hard Because just as this path indicates, we've been stepped on too much. If you get stepped on too many times, that soil gets hard. But it's not just pain that brings about hardness. Sometimes the hardness will come just from good old-fashioned pride. Pain or pride, they both can make soil very, very hard. um, Some of you may know that tomorrow is not just Columbus Day, but for my family... Uh, it's Canadian Thanksgiving. So we're be, we'll be celebrating. We get uh, two Thanksgivings per year. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out all the pilgrim story. That's not part of the Canadian Thanksgiving story, but I'm, I'm learning slowly. We had a marching band on our street yesterday. Uh, Plano West was marching up our street. And I think my kids thought, oh, they know it's Canadian Thanksgiving. In our household, though, there's a tradition we do with Canadian Thanksgiving where Uh, We sit around, maybe you do this too, and before you're able to dig into the meal, everybody's got to say something they're thankful for, right? Anybody gathered, everybody gives something thankful. And in our household, I remember a few years back, we came to this moment, and there was one person sitting at the table that said, I have nothing to say. Hard soil. It it was actually me at the age of 16, but that that, that, that was my Thanksgiving story. Nothing to say. Hard, hard, hard soil. The classical biblical picture of hard soil is Pharaoh. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, right? Plagues, prophets, 
the word of the Lord spoken over again and again, and yet his heart, his heart is hardened. How's your soil? Maybe your soil isn't hard. Maybe it's today shallow. Verse 20, 21. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Some soils get shallow by being so distracted by all the things around them. There's thin soil. There's not much there. There's not an ability to really put down roots. This is a person who is really always in the moment, right? A man of the moment, a woman of the moment. As Luther would describe this person, this person is weather vane-ish. Weather vane-ish, blown this way, blown that way quite easily. Can't stand up under pressure. When pressure comes, especially on account of the word, there must be some other solution out there. This is a bit of Cranmer's story, at least as I told today, isn't it? Right? Persecution arises and he just falls away, it seems. How's your soil? Is your soil shallow? The, probably the best biblical picture of shallow soil is King Saul in Israel. I mean, King Saul, the first king of Israel, anointed great things expected of him, right? Samuel anoints him, and yet Saul very quickly starts going this way and blowing that way, can't seem to stick it out, can't keep on course what the Lord has put in front of him. I think the best example of this is in Saul's very short career, you get a sense he can't even figure out his job description. Is Saul the king? Or is Saul the prophet? Or he sometimes wants to play seer, fortune teller, or perhaps he's actually the priest himself. He ends up playing all these different roles because he doesn't know really what he's called to do. He's shallow. He's blown this way and that. How's your soil today? Maybe it's not hard. Maybe it's not shallow. Maybe your soil is cluttered. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This soil gets cluttered by cares and riches. And in one sense, these aren't bad things. I mean, God wants us to care about the things in our lives. He wants us to be good stewards. God cares about our finances, cares that we have enough to care for our family and support ourselves. Jesus himself teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread. But see, soil that gets cluttered by these things begins to value all things the same. This soil can't differentiate between what is temporal and what's eternal what ultimately matters, and what is ultimately passing away. This soil gets so cluttered up in all the different things, choking the soil, grabbing for time, that the seed cannot bear fruits. When we were in Guatemala on our mission trip back in June, building stoves uh, for the Mayan people up in the hills, um, on the third day, 
we were there um, building and, and, and there was this young family with us. Uh, I mean, this one family we, we were building in their home. And I just noticed how much younger this family seemed among so many others. And so they were really involved and they had, their Spanish was a lot better. Normally we had to do double translation, English to Spanish to Ishil. And this family had quite a bit of Spanish. So it was almost only one degree of separation. And as we came to pray over the stove when it was completed, um, this family praying in Spanish through the translator, they began to pray for us. And they said, oh, oh, Father, thank you so much for bringing these people here uh, from Texas. They knew we were from Texas. From Texas. And we're just so thankful for the stove and for the ways they've, they've ministered to us. And then they said this, and I will never forget it. He said, and thank you, Father, that they came because we know how busy they are. And it just hit me like between the eyes, like a ton of bricks. I said, Oh, Lord, is this what I show to the world, that I'm so busy? That it's, it's, it's a great miracle that you could even show up to help the least of these. Oh, Lord, help me never be so busy, so cluttered, that I can't do what you're calling me to do in this world. A cluttered soil. The classical biblical picture of a cluttered soil, I think, is, is King Solomon. You know, this is David's son. This is the son who's ruling over, really, the golden age of Israel. He's got everything in his, in his hands. He's got this amazing wisdom from God. And yet, Solomon got so lured in by the wealth and all his foreign wives that he truly, by the end, wrecked the kingdom. His sons were disasters and ruined the kingdom. He was a cluttered piece of soil. How's your soil today? The question really is, if it's true that each one of us can at times go through each one of these experiences of our soil, hard, shallow, cluttered, is there any hope? Is there any hope for hard, shallow, and cluttered soil? Because when you first read this story, it kind of seems like it's fixed, it, it, it feels when you first read the parable kind of like Jesus saying, well, this is how it is. Some are going to hear me and some are not. So you can just sort of hope you're the right kind of soil and that's it. I mean, the parable kind of reads that way until you read what Jesus says just beforehand. See, in verses 1 through 9, Jesus tells the parable. And then in verses 10 through 16, he explains the parable. He tells the disciples what's really going on. Right? And then goes on to break down the text we just looked at. And when he explains why he speaks in parables, verse 10, the disciples said to him, why do you speak in parables? Why do you say such confusing things? What does Jesus do? He quotes Isaiah chapter 6. And it doesn't sound very nice. It really doesn't sound very gracious. He says, well, I'm speaking in parables so that they will indeed hear but never understand, will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I mean, it sounds really harsh. He's basically saying, I'm speaking in code because they're really not going to get it. He's quoting Isaiah. 
But here's the thing we need to always do whenever we see a quote in the New Testament referencing back to a moment in the Hebrew Bible is we've got to go back to that quote and open it up because Jesus expects his disciples to know the broader context. See, what happens in Isaiah 6, and here's the gospel, is Jesus quoting these words from Isaiah. Isaiah has been sent to speak the word over Israel. And God says to him ahead of time, it's, it's great encouragement for this preacher, they ain't going to understand what you're saying. Go and preach, but they're not going to find your jokes funny. They're not going to understand your illustrations, and they're not going to understand the content. So go. It's very encouraging. We should say that to young preachers when we send them out the door. Just go. No one's going to understand you. Right? This is what God is saying to Isaiah. But then Isaiah, in response to this, says in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, But Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? In other words, how long will you keep this people's ears dull that they can't hear? Is this going to go on forever? And God says, no. He says, they will be dull until their cities lie waste and without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. When the Lord removes them far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though only a small portion remain in it. You see, what he's speaking about is judgment. He's saying that these people will not hear you until the final day of judgment comes. But Jesus now, when he's telling this parable to his disciples, says, okay, just like Isaiah, I'm speaking in parables and they've got pretty dull ears. But guess what? He says in verse 16, he says, but blessed are your ears for they hear. Well, how could their ears hear? If everyone's ears are dull, how could these ears hear? Because the day that Isaiah was promising has come in Jesus. You see, Jesus, this day of judgment has come and it fell on Jesus. The judgment didn't fall on us, it fell on him. As Jesus climbs up Calvary and takes our sins in his body on the cross, as he comes out of that grave alive, having died the death we should have died, the judgment fell on him. And as a result then, now we can say, oh Lord, how long? And we can say, the day of resurrection. The day of resurrection changed everything. All of a sudden, people whose ears had been stopped suddenly began having the possibility of hearing. Those whose eyes had been shut could begin seeing. Did not Jesus say, I came that those who are blind may see and those who are deaf may hear? You see, Jesus in his death and resurrection, which we celebrate every Sunday as we gather, has put on display in front of the world, not a parable, not coded language, but a clear picture in front of the entire human race that says, come, hear this word, and you will be saved. See, what was hidden has now been made open that which was hard to understand has now been made clear. The Son of God has come and died in your place. Will you come to him? See, what soil needs that is hard or shallow or cluttered, what soil needs is to hear the word and repent. As Jesus says there in verse 15, turn, hear and turn. Repent. You know, I think one of the best definitions of the word repentance is where Eugene Peterson says, repentance is saying no to one thing so you can say yes to something else. I, I, I gotta stop that so I can say yes to this, to repent, 
to take an honest assessment of where our soil is at and say, Lord, I don't want my soil hard. I don't want my soil shallow. I don't want my soil cluttered. I want my soil to be good and open to receive your word. And so I repent. I turn from those things which are wrecking my soil that you can have room to move in me. See, repentance is at the core of what it means to receive God's work in our lives. Repentance is at the core. You know, sometimes we talk about the word revival. And revival is a word that can be misunderstood. People, you know, think revival, it's about, you know, big tent meetings. And that's revival. But revival happens right here too. Revival is when a dead heart comes alive. And do you know what's amazing about revival? The longest running revival in human history has been a bunch of Anglicans in East Africa. No joke. A bunch of Anglicans in East Africa have had the longest running revival in human history. It started in the 1940s and it's still going today. One of the founders of these mission movements in Uganda back in the 1940s, a British physician missionary named Joe Church. Yes, that was his name, Joe Church. He said this about what was happening as repentance broke out in East Africa. He said, people misunderstand revival. They think revival is the roof blowing off. But he said, revival is the bottom falling out. Revival is an awareness of brokenness that leads you to repentance. That's revival. Brokenness that leads you to repentance. It revives the soul. It revives the soil. It takes hard, shallow, cluttered soil and makes it good, makes their, have room so the word of God, the seed, can make its way into our lives to bear fruit. And this is why we come here on the Lord's Day every week, that we can have God's word, God's gospel spoken over us, and then we can be led to repent because every week our soil is getting a little bit more hard, a little bit more shallow, a little bit more cluttered, and we come in the door and we hear God's word and again we repent. And then we come and receive again from this table, from his table. Repent and receive. Do you want to bear more fruit in your life? How's your soil? Do you hear the sower graciously sowing his seed on your soil? How is your soil receiving it? Is the call today to repentance? Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, that complicated leader of the Church of England through the English Reformation, who edited the Book of Common Prayer and then was in prison under Bloody Mary, privately recanting his Protestant beliefs, the crown requiring him to stand publicly in the pulpit of University Church Oxford and make his private recantation public. 
Well, I don't know what happened to Thomas Cranmer in that moment as he walked up those stairs to that pulpit, that pulpit that he had stood in so many times before and preached God's word. But as Thomas Cranmer walked up those stairs and stood in that pulpit to publicly recant his Protestant beliefs, as he looked over that congregation, something changed in his heart that day. Something happened in his soil. And he publicly repented of his recantation. He declared himself a Protestant, that I know that I am saved by grace through faith alone. And as he was hauled from that pulpit forcibly and taken to the pyre to burn, he had publicly repented. And to this day, we pray every week the prayer of repentance that that man wrote. He died a martyr. It's never too late to repent. You know the best time to plant an oak tree? 20 years ago. What's the second best time to plant an oak tree? Today. Repent. Repent and believe. Repent and receive. And the one sown on good soil is the one who heard the word and understood it. And indeed, he bore fruit and yielded in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.